Hello. Welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you tuned in. Why? Because they put God in a temple. They put God in a box. They said, that's where God is. And now I'm out of here. He can stay there. I'm out here. The Israelites were religious and gave much attention to the law. But God desired not just obedience to the law, but intimacy with his people. Let's join Dr. Corbett as tonight we make religious candles from spiritual earwax. Let's pray. Invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us through his word. Holy Spirit, we're going to be looking at words, words that we receive as the very words of God. But Lord, we don't just want to read words. We don't just want to understand words. We want to hear your voice. And as we've already sung, we want to see your heart. Help us to get this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 7. And we're going in a moment to be looking at verses 21 to 29, which I've entitled Religious Candles Made from Spiritual Earwax. Subtitled, When People Won't Listen to God. Remind you, Jeremiah chapter 7, it starts off in verse 1, where it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And we've seen that the word gate is an expression of influence. It's where in that culture, if you were to be an influencer, you would be someone who was stationed at the gate. And the Lord told Jeremiah, stand at the gate. It's, it's that place of influence. And in our society, the, the place of the gate is where you're prepared to be seen. It's that place where you're prepared to be heard. And I think it's the place where God wants his church. In society, I think God wants the church in the gate, not to be hidden away, not to be ashamed of what we have to say, not to be shy about the things of God, but to proclaim the things of God. And that's what Jeremiah is told. Proclaim there this word and say hear the word of the lord all you notice who he addresses see that in verse two all you men all you men and the bible seems to seems to teach that men have a role to play of bearing responsibility for where society is going and all the men said oh dear i mean all the men said amen And it goes on, and all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. And it's almost tongue in cheek because these men were not there to worship the Lord. They were there to look religious. And Jeremiah is going to make that real clear real soon. And when we come to church, there is something in our hearts that says, God, we want to worship you. Jesus Christ has transformed our hearts so that there is something deep within us. I've come to put aside everything of this week. I've come to put aside all of the distractions. And I've come now to refocus on God and to worship him as Lord. And Jeremiah's being very deliberate with his language here. God was Lord, which means he's the one who controls. The heart of the religious person is to control. The heart of the worshipper is to acknowledge the one who's in control. Big difference. Do you want to be a worshipper? 
But you see down verse 5, uh, the, the prophet calls the people to amend their ways. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, and if you do not oppress the sojourner, that is the foreigner, the one who's come from another land, the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow or shed innocent blood in this place. And if you do not go after other gods to your own harm. So here's an amazing list of the indictment that the prophet has against the people. They were coming to worship. You get the picture? These were the religious folk of Israel. They were coming to worship. And as they came into the temple, he's stationed at the gate of the temple. They're inside the temple precinct. And he says, you're here to worship God. You're here to acknowledge that God is in control. Yet you exercise control over the foreigner, over the widow, over the fatherless, over the one who is poor, which just demonstrates that God is not in control of your life because if he was, you would have a heart for people who are less well off than you. This is what the prophet says. And I think in the New Testament, the New Covenant, we need to understand the difference between fruit and root. The root of our salvation is Jesus Christ. The fruit of our salvation is a heart for people. Does that make sense? We have a heart for people. It's not because we have a heart for people that we're saved. It's the other way around. And this is something that Jeremiah is condemning them for. Verse 9, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you've not known? So while we have a very religious people who on the outside look like they're coming to the temple to worship, the prophet says, game up. I'm calling the scam here. You guys are looking in appearance to be right before God. But inside the very core of your soul is something that, what was that list? That you, you murder? Goodness me. You commit adultery? And, 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 and today, you know, how do you feel when you hear a story of a member of the clergy being uncovered for being an internet porn addict? It's the same deal, isn't it? It's the same deal, looking religious, but inwardly, when you think no one else is looking, you're in your bedroom, you're in your lounge room, you're on your laptop, you're somewhere, and you're doing stuff where your heart is revealed. And the prophet is saying, that is not true worship. That's not it. That's not it. And we're going to read this expression in verse 13, where God says, and now because you've done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you, the next word is persistently, persistently. I hope as we look at this section in Jeremiah 7, as we're introducing it now, I, 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 it's my hope that you hear the heart of God. Because I know it's possible for some of us to look at this passage and go, yeah, God, get them. Those religious hypocrites, those sinners, you get them, God, you zap them. Without realizing, hey, hang on, before I wish lightning on anyone maybe we just need a bit of light in my own heart and i tell you i want my heart to be a place where the light of god exposes what's really in it and i say that with trembling and we read here that god persistently reached out to these people persistently amazing we've seen in verse 18 that the heart of the people and this is the difference between and i'm going to use this word and i don't like doing this but i'm going to use this word religion the, the religion is when someone is trying to control as distinct from worship of God, where you surrender control. 
And in, and in religion, you set up things that you control. And we read in verse 18 that the people had set up a system of worship to the moon, whom they called the queen of heaven. And they believed that if you offered <clears throat> raisin cakes to this queen of heaven and you ate them and practiced immorality, the queen of heaven would, as you would commit this act of immorality at night under moonlight, the blessing of this queen uh, known as a starte would come upon you in a way that you would be the recipient of blessing. And Jeremiah is rebuking the women for giving themselves up in adultery voluntarily to worship this queen of heaven. And we read in chapter 44 that when things go just as Jeremiah said they would, the women say, it's because you rebuked us back in chapter 7. They didn't say back in chapter 7. I'm just adding that for detail. Because you rebuked us for worshipping the queen of heaven, we stopped worshipping her. Now look at everything. It's gone so horribly wrong. This is in Jeremiah chapter 44. And it says this, we will go back to worshipping the queen of heaven because when we did, we had so much fun and everything went well. That's what religion, the idea that you can control everything and you can have fun and do whatever you want. And Jeremiah rebukes this. And, and we come now to verse 21 where we're going to start this section. Religious candles made from spiritual earwax. And I hope we're going to see something here that will revolutionize our hearts and change the way we see God. And I hope that we understand that when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, you just get a glimpse of something maybe you've never seen before in that sentiment, in that statement. We're reading from verse 21, Jeremiah chapter 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. That sounds pretty reasonable. Next verse, verse 22. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Now, if you just know your Bible just a little bit, you should read that and go, hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. yes, you did. In fact, you, you wrote a whole, like, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, all of Leviticus is about animal sacrifices. What are you saying you didn't ask for animal sacrifices? And Deuteronomy reiterates it as well, the Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. What do you mean you didn't command for animal sacrifices? It's almost an incomprehensible thing that Jeremiah is saying here. But I want you to get what he's saying because the people were sacrificing animals like this. We can do whatever we want. That's called sin. And then we'll go to the temple, we'll offer up an animal and our sin is paid for. Done. All right, let's go back out and see. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. You might want to keep your finger there in Jeremiah 7. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. This is what it says. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. See that? Hebrews 10, 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So why did God command animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? And what on earth is Jeremiah referring to? I didn't command that you do it this way. Because the purpose of animal sacrifices was never to atone for sin. It was never to say, that if we sacrifice an animal, that animal, sta that animal stands in my place. That animal bears my sin. That animal is now as guilty as sin. That animal is my sin right there. Kill it. Get rid of it. Kill it. 
That's it. There's my sin dealt with. That was never the heart of God. So what was the purpose of animal sacrifices? You'll notice in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, it says these things were a shadow of the reality. And it's like this. Animal sacrifices were a shadow. They weren't the real thing. They were a shadow. What was casting the shadow? Jesus Christ, the ultimate Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Animal sacrifices never took away anyone's sin. That's why I am completely bewildered when people say God's plan is to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and reinstitute animal sacrifices. I go, good night. You ever read Hebrews? Don't you get this? Jesus Christ died once and for all. Hebrews 9.27. Once and for all. There's no need for any more animal sacrifices. And so the prophet Jeremiah is saying, you sacrifice animals in the thought that now your sin's dealt with, you can just go back out and sin. And if we have that attitude about the cross, Hebrews chapter 6 has something to say to us. It says, don't do that. It's as if you were saying, Jesus died once. Next time we sin, we'll kill him again. And Hebrews says, that is not the gospel. That is not it. And the person who thinks I'm going to become a Christian so I can get a ticket to heaven, have my sin forgiven and live however I want, doesn't get it. See, what's the other point of animal sacrifices? It was to say this, this is what your sin deserves. And these priests had to take these animals and they, they ceremonially said, our sin be upon you. It was symbolic. It was saying this is what sin deserves. And then they would, somebody would hold its head, some, the feet would often be bound, and then they would get a knife and, they would, and the blood would splatter. It was messy stuff. But it was God giving a picture. That's what sin deserves. The next time you feel conviction of sin, thank God. That's a really, really healthy thing. That's the point of animal sacrifices, to show the real price of sin and to point to Christ. Now notice... Verse 23, but this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Notice this, this is the command. God is rather firm about this. There is only one way to be saved and it is in Christ. And we read in Romans chapter five that the grace of God is available to all the world. That's what it says. But it also says this, the grace of God will save those who receive it and what does that mean it seems to mean this there will be people despite the father's best effort who will tell god no thank you and how will they do it probably by being very very religious probably by trusting in their religious efforts just like the older brother just like the pharisees and they'll miss it they'll miss it this is what i commanded obey my and i would think this is old testament i would think the next word would be obey my law but that's not the next word it's obey my voice you see think about this you see you can have a a book and there's the law and you can read that really cold and you go okay do this kind of like a recipe you know one cup of flour okay one cup of flour and you could treat god's word like that really cold really really cold but that's not what god says to do god says obey my voice think about this If someone is a long way away, the only way you can hear their voice is if you do what? Get close to them. Does that make sense? Get close to them. Yes, listen. I assume you'll do that when you get close to them. Get close to them. So if someone's talking and you can't quite hear them, 
what you do is, and this is what I do with Kim all the time, she utters something and I just, what was that, darling? I loved you. And I can hear Kim because I'm close and she's speaking. <laughs> Obey my voice. I hope you see something here in the heart of God. He's saying, I want you to be close to me. Not obey my law, not keep my commandment. No, this, this is the command. Obey my voice. And we sang it early today that, that we might see the heart of God and hear the heart of God and feel the heart of God. And if you're hearing someone's voice, you know, there's a time when it's appropriate to send a text message. Sometimes. But if you really have something heartfelt you want to communicate with someone, please turn your phone off. Well, maybe turn your phone on, but don't text. Use your phone and call them. Let them hear your voice. Let them hear your voice because words can be misconstrued. Like this, I read this of a 16th century professor. This is what he said of his students. Writing to parents, this is what he said. These students really suck in their lessons. Think 16th century. That's the 1500s. We hear that today. We read the words. These students really suck in their lessons. But that's not the way he said it. He was actually complimenting the students. These students really suck in their lessons. You see, if you only get the text, if you only get the words, you miss the heart. And God is saying, I only give you one command. Obey my voice. It requires intimacy. Notice the other expression in this verse, verse 23, uh, verse 24, sorry. He says this. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That is a very, very deliberate set of words. And it's a very, very deliberate set of words. And the closest thing we have to that today is, will you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? I will. So it's kind of like saying, when I gave myself to you and you gave yourself to me and we were married, I will be your God and you will be my people is saying exactly the same thing. We are now so close. We are in covenant with each other and we cannot get any closer. This is the closest agreement we can make. This is where you hear my voice in my arms. This is what God was saying to the people. But notice their response in verse 24. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. I, I just want to remind you, I want to reiterate where this is being spoken. This is in the temple precinct. This is to people seemingly wearing their religious robes. This is the people who are coming with their offerings. This is the people who look religious. And the prophet Jeremiah is saying, your hearts are stubborn. Why? Because they put God in a temple. They put God in a box. They said, that's where God is. And now I'm out of here. He can stay there. I'm out here. That's why we read earlier on in this chapter. See what they do. The Lord says, see what they do in the streets of Jerusalem and the cities of Judah. He imagine Jeremiah's original audience going, God can see outside of the temple. We put him in there. We shut the door. How did he get out? That's religion. God's here and not here. God's not in a box. God's not interested in being a Sunday relationship for you. God wants to be a Monday relationship for you. Every one of us, every one of us. 
Verse 25, from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have, what's that next word? Persistently. How did, how did, the, how did God want the people to hear the voice of God? This is, don't you find this interesting? Here God says, I persistently called out to you. I, I sent my voice. I sent my voice to you. And who, who represented that voice? I persistently sent to you prophets. And if you, you do a study on this, the expression, the voice of God, we find that there, in, in, a, in a generation where you've got hundreds of false prophets, thus says the Lord, do this and things will go well with you. And then someone like Jeremiah comes on the scene and he says, they are false prophets. Here is the word of the Lord. Incline your ear to my voice. Listen to what I say. Do not say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, for I am not in the temple, says the Lord. Jeremiah comes along and stands apart. He stands apart from these false prophets. He was the voice of God in the earth. We read in Isaiah chapter 40 that Isaiah says, Behold, a voice cries out in the wilderness. Who was that voice? John the Baptist. Remember at a time John the Baptist came, the people had rebuilt their temple. They had re-robed their priests. They now had a new category of religious order called rabbi. They had another category of religious order called Pharisee. And they all wore their different uniforms. They all looked religious. Some of these guys on their way to the temple weren't just content to be seen in the temple worshipping. They literally had blokes walking in front of them with a trumpet. Here comes, what's his name? He's really religious. Look at him. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 23, when you go to the temple, you blow trumpets. What on earth are you doing? What are you doing? It's not me you're coming to worship, the voice. And so when John the Baptist dies, we see that Jesus is called the voice of the bridegroom. The voice. The voice is that heartbeat of God that says, my people, come close. Come close. Come into my heart. Hear my heart. If you get the heart of God, you look at the laws of God completely differently. You look at them not as words on a page, not as things to be obeyed, but as the voice of God for our benefit. Like a father who, with his voice, says to his child, if the ball goes out on the highway, leave it. Don't chase that ball out on the highway. See the heart of God? He sometimes picks us up out of the middle of a busy road and says, don't play here. Don't play here. And if you hear his voice, you can hear his heart. Day after day, God says, I sent prophets. This is a persistent God. This is a God who's really, really trying and striving with his people to get them out of the middle of the road. But it says here, verse 26, Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. And I've already done an illustration of what stiff neck looked like. And I picked the wrong person because I picked... Daryl, and his neck was like, even when he stiffened it, I could still move it. Just strength, I don't know. But but these people stiffened their neck. They weren't moving for anyone. And even though God called them to come this way, they had continued to go this way. They'd become stiff 
necked. And notice this last expression, verse 26, they did worse than their fathers. Why? Because on the outside they were religious and on the inside their heart was a gazillion miles from God. Verse 27, so speak all these words to them, but notice how God defines success for Jeremiah. How would you define success? Jeremiah, go and prophesy to these people, get them to repent. Jeremiah does and they don't. Is Jeremiah being successful? Notice what God says here in verse 27. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. They won't listen. But you shall call to them, but they will not answer. The word of God preached on a Sunday is of absolutely no effect if you won't hear it, if you won't receive it. But if you hear the voice of God and pray, oh God, I'm detecting that maybe right now I'm hearing your heart, I'm hearing your voice. I want your voice to resonate in my heart. Please come into my heart and change my life. That's when the word of God can begin to have an effect on your life. We're not calling you to be religious. We're not calling you to be a churchian. We're not calling you to be religiousness it. We are calling you to have a heart for God. It's called being a Christian. Verse 28, and you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the what? The voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline truth has perished it is cut off from their lips what a dire situation truth has perished if the temple worshippers will not uphold truth in society truth has perished what is it 1 Timothy 2 15 says the church is the pillar of truth in society so what it says I think it's 1 Timothy 2 15 I always get it mixed up I'm not sure if it's 2 Timothy 2 15 or 1 Timothy 2 15 the church is the pillar of truth in society. So when the church says to society, hey, you know all those rules God has given? No, they don't really matter. Truth perishes from society. That's why we shouldn't be surprised at some of the legislative agenda that's being pushed through our parliament at the moment when the church will not declare the voice of God. Verse 29, this is what God tells Jeremiah. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. Oh boy, oh boy. You do not want to be a part of that generation. Now here, as we finish up, notice this. God tells Jeremiah, you've given this word, this word that says, my heart has been laid bare before people. They have mocked it. They have rejected it. They have tried to be religious instead of being heartfelt worshippers. Kind of like the apocryphal story of uh, someone told, it's not in the apocrypha, it's just an apocryphal story of Jesus and his disciples. And it illustrates the point. One day Jesus was walking down the road with his 12 disciples. He said to them, uh, each of you boys uh, pick up a stone each and carry it for me. So Peter picked up a stone, not really understanding why, put it in his pocket. Jesus later that day taught to, to thousands and then said, it's lunchtime, get those stones out of your pocket, boys. And each one of those stones became, just turned into a loaf of bread right there. And he fed all these people with these stones. And Peter said, wow, that now that's why Jesus wanted us to pick the stone up. So then Jesus said to them again, as they were about to head off, he said, okay, boys, pick up another stone for me. 
And so Peter realising, aha, this is supper I'm now picking up. He picks up a small boulder. He can't put it in his pocket. He puts it on his shoulder. And he's carrying this thing all day. It's getting heavy. He's swipping and swapping it because it's like aching and hurting and sore. Um, and there he is. And it comes time for supper. And Peter's going, this is hurt, but it's been worth it. And then Jesus comes by a stream and he turns to his disciples, says, those stones you boys have been carrying, just throw them in the stream. And Peter's going, oh, goody, fish. <laughs> awesome. So Peter throws the boulder into the stream. The other disciples throw their stones into the stream. And Jesus says, come on, let's go. Walk on. And Peter goes, um, uh, uh, Jesus, <laughs> um, supper, fish, stone, boulder. Um, what, what's the deal? Jesus said, Jesus turns to Peter in this apocryphal story. This is not in the Bible. This did not actually happen. That's my caveat, copyright warning, disclaimer, and all that kind of stuff. Jesus turns to Peter and says, why did you carry the stone? Remember what Jesus asked them to do? Pick up a stone for me. Peter had picked up a boulder for him. That's the difference between heartfelt worship and religion. Religion wants to control God and make God do what they want. A worshipper says, God, whatever you want, I'll do. Whatever you give, I receive. However you order my life, I worship you. That's why for the older brother, the religious type, it's really hard to worship. Because what do I get out of it? But for the one who has been forgiven by God, and it's not that we've repented, therefore we've been forgiven and loved by God. It's that God is a forgiving, loving God. Therefore, we repent. Don't confuse root for fruit. And here Jeremiah is told by God, feel my heart, Jeremiah, and I want you to do something that will cost you honor. Jeremiah, I want you to cut your hair off. Don't just do it where no one can see. Go up to the heights and look over the city. Let the whole city look up and see you cutting your hair off. Cut your hair off and throw it to the breeze as an act of saying, you surrender your honour for the dishonour you feel in your people. One day, God would send someone who would be dishonoured, not just to cut his hair, but to be stripped naked, laid bare and have three nine-inch nails thrust through his body, pinned to a cross where he felt the agony of religion, sin and shame. And on that cross, he cried, Father, forgive them. And that forgiveness, the voice that came from that cross is still echoing through the world today. Will you receive the forgiveness of God. Let me ask you this question. Normally at this time, I don't want any music. I don't want anyone to bow their head. But I'm asking you right now. Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and you, you know you haven't? Either because you're an older brother or a younger brother. Either because you're very religious or you're very naughty. Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? 
Do you want to stand up for Jesus? If you do, could I see your hand right now? I don't want to make this easy for anyone. I want this to be hard. Because I want you to feel what it's like to have your hair cut off and to feel what you're doing. Who wants to give their life to Jesus Christ today? You've never given your life to Christ. You know your sins are not forgiven. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I don't want my heart to become religious and cold and hard, but I want my ears unstopped. I don't want spiritual earwax to build up in my ear so that I make religious candles out of them so that I can put God in a box or in a candle or in a ceremony or a ritual. But Lord, right now, I want to completely surrender my heart and my life to you, Lord God. I don't want to be like the Pharisees. I don't want to be like Jeremiah's audience. I don't want to be like the younger brother. I want to be somebody who, like the younger brother at the end of the story, comes back to you and says, God, I have sinned. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And I want you to take my heart and my life and make it your own. And God, I pray that you give us your heart as a church. Help us not to wag our religious fingers at people. But Father, help us to be a people that are easily moved in prayer because we continually hear your voice. Now, Lord, for those who are listening to me right now in their lounge rooms, their cars, their bedrooms, perhaps even on a plane, listening on an MP3 player of some description or live on the radio, wherever it might be, I pray right now that, Lord God, for those who have never given their life to Christ, that something would so stir in their heart that they say right now, God, I give you my heart. Please give me yours. And that, Father, for those that surrender their life afresh, not to be in control of their life, but to surrender control of their life, I pray that you would take them and fill them with your spirit and help them to live for Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God desires intimacy with us, not just blind obedience to the law. So steer clear of being stubbornly religious and give your heart to God. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 15, Making Religious Candles from Spiritual Earwax, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.